Right, we're back with episode 50, I believe, of the Midnight Pod. This time, I think we're actually back. Half century. Yeah, it is. I did nine months in a row, then took a slight hiatus in summer, then restarted, but then found myself too busy and with a lack of passion for the pod temporarily. So we did six episodes and then a few half-assed ones, which never actually went live. And the wine is back. We're starting with what I believe is a very expensive wine that I was gifted by Simon, who's the finance guy for Space Goods. So thank you, Simon, if you're watching, which I feel like you probably are. It's nice. good shit. We're back with the fucking pink lights, red wine, and somewhat of a co-host in Oliver Hudson, who plenty of money Twitter and whoever watches the pod probably seen on episode whatever it was, like a year and a bit ago, the most loose episode of the Midnight Pod in history. I'm surprised you managed to get the stain off the sofa from when I spilled it. It's definitely still there. Yeah, it definitely is. And then the most somber episode last time, which was yeah, yeah, a bit of a that wasn't great. We tried to do an episode in 180 House, thinking it'd be cool to switch it up, but then I realised that. Just trying to change variables that don't need to be changed and ultimately the cozy flat setup vibey is really is really the one so we're doing a bit of cop out episode because we've got loads of guests like next week which we'll probably do some of with you like co-hosting and maybe some just me as well we'll figure it out trying like a new format ish with like two hosts i guess but we're doing like a q a to get started because that's what the people seem to want a lot of times i think doing like a monthly q a or at least a bi-monthly one it's a good place to start. I'll sling some questions back at you, but I don't know. I think a lot of them are like maybe brand specific. Yeah, there's a mixture. There's a lot that are e-com brand specific, some that are more general, life specific, some that are just rinses that are just coming at you for those orange trousers specifically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, quite a big a big range. Don't know where you want to start, general or, or brand because that's the, it's a pretty even You've split. got ones from Instagram and, and Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll dive in, I guess. We'll start with something general. Um, God, this is pretty deep. What are your parents' point of view on your career? That's quite a good question, actually. It's it probably yeah. a question that many like people don't answer changed. or haven't been asked. I feel like since I've known you, it must have changed because I know early on to now, surely. But Yeah, I mean, I think in summary... I remember first revealing my Shopify store. I think it would have been um, fucking loose garms at the time, pre-dusk back in like 2016. Big I remember brand. showing my dad that, I think like Christmas 2016, and being like, this is what I'm doing. I'm probably going to drop out. I don't think I dropped out officially at that point. And I was like, yeah, this is these are the numbers. It's real. Like, this is what the fuck I'm doing. I think they probably always knew that I wasn't going to follow a traditional path, but until, I think it's just generational thing, isn't it? They haven't, necessarily seen especially because my parents aren't entrepreneurial at all like my, my uncle is but my parents aren't um so that, yeah I think, I think they were pretty worried at first but Scared. that's probably just the way they should be and then eventually they, they just saw that it wasn't a fluke and i was going to keep doing shit and even when i've had like ups and downs by that point i was way way too far into the game i was never going to go back and get a fucking job or anything um do you think so, they understand it do they understand what you do I feel like that's a disconnect between generations is like, yeah. even if you try, you almost have to break it down in painstaking detail of like how you make, how you come to sell all this stuff on the internet. Or it's like yeah, quite a I, I, think, I think my dad understands more than my mum, not to sound sexist, but just because he's like more, in, his job involves like business, whereas my mum doesn't. But yeah, it's not an e-com. I mean, yeah he definitely understands more I think the the thing my parents don't understand and probably typical of most entrepreneurs parents is just 
like the entrepreneurial mindset and like they can't understand why I don't know like why I'd even care about trying to build something something big like or whatever. self-motivation and not working for someone else and pursuing a bigger goal kind of or yeah I think they they just understand my brother who's a it's a very interesting biological case maybe because he's my twin not non-identical so same womb different eggs but he's a complete fucking opposite of me in every way and like he has a much more typical worldview, and he's definitely happier than me but I just couldn't do what he does yeah and live the way he does equally I'd say he's knowing him knowing of I don't I wouldn't say I know him but I know of him he's equally as kind of high performance in some other aspects I guess yeah like, I think does, like, I Iron talk- Man's and shit he's, he's better academically this, than me I was talking to someone about this today actually like it is possible to work a nine to five and become ridiculously successful and wealthy. Like, yeah, so most many, people would be a better choice. So yeah, and it's not a wrong path. Like there's people who get in earlier, massive companies, take share options, become wealthier than most people who start an online business ever would get anywhere near. Hundred percent. Oh shit! Uh, no, <laughs> we just spilled red wine everywhere. <laughs> it's only a little bit. It's actually only a very small bit, surprisingly. <laughs> it's not me this time, at least. Fuck's um, sake! We'll deal with that after. I've just for anyone that's listening, I just kicked over that bottle of wine. Yeah, it's bump. We'll people who are later. naturally better at being an employee as well, and can, and some of those people become way more wealthy and successful than most people in some of the highest level of those individuals. Like people who get into Uber early, people who get into startups early, can leave with a ridiculous paycheck. Yeah, I spoke to a guy that works at this fund now, and he's like clearly minted. He was like early team at Deliveroo. I yeah. won't say his name, but yeah, he's clearly cashed. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, there's people I've spoken to people who start the business to like triple whale and stuff and they take share options and they're gonna be they're gonna come out of that with if they if they get to a point of sale with stupid amounts of cash. It's yeah. just a different path, isn't it? There's a there's a follow on question that kinda relates to the well it's loosely related. It's like if you had to work a traditional nine to five, what job would you want to do? Honestly, I thought about this and it'd be a high end supercar salesman. <laughs> Niche. Genuinely. <laughs> I think it'd be sick. Like that's the only job I've ever looked at and thought that would surely, actually be good. Surely that's self-employed though. If you're high and surely it's some... Nah, but like if, if you work at, I don't know, Lamborghini, Knightsbridge or whatever, that's a job. Or, or even just like Redline Specialist Cars or something where yeah. you used to buy those cars from. I think because, I mean, firstly, I fucking love cars. I think that actually be quite sick. But also you, do, you just meet a lot of yeah, the network entrepreneurs effect, and shit, wouldn't yeah. you? Because there are people buying those cars. Yeah, the network. Or in good. something similar, like yachts or jets. Something where you can network and just sell cool shit. You'd also definitely feel like if you worked that job, you'd end up out of a nine to five just through the network effect if you did it well. Yeah. You'd, offer, you'd find some opportunity from some of the guys you were selling a car to or a yacht to. Yeah. <laughs> that would lead you to not do a fucking anymore. jet. Or a jet. There's so many car questions in here. So many. Like, what is the next car you're going to get? Like, what's your dream car? The DeLorean. That'd be funny. Are we answering that now? Yeah, you might as well because I'm. That's a bit of a next car. I mean, Christ, I've had like over a year off cars. I mean, I said it would be a Eurus wrapped with the rainbow dust packaging, and I'd still genuinely think that would be the next one. I call it the unicorn truck, <laughs> and it'd be the perfect wrap. It'd be the satin pink to purple, purple to pink. The ultimate so, lifestyle design of yeah, that's the plan. And put a QR code on it and park it illegally in Mayfair every weekend. Love Something it. like that. Yeah, you've always been a car person. I do think that working as a luxury car salesman would be the network and people underestimate the power of network I feel you've, you've yeah definitely the biggest thing uh, 
in the journey, I feel like, getting getting into the room with the right people. Uh, we've felt it over the last 12 months. You've obviously raised a lot of money through network, a lot of it, mm. early stage. Um, what Again, I'm sticking with like the general life questions and coming at you pretty fast. What Am I going to tilt these back on you as well? Yeah, yeah, you can do. Someone would love to hear more on building a business when single versus in a relationship. Fucking hell, I feel like... <laughs> Like which is a, reflected on these sort of questions a lot in the earlier pods where I used to. I, I can't out. speak about she who shall shall not be named on the pod anymore. There's been many different fucking romantic intera- interactions since then that haven't gone as long, but have been just as high stakes. Um, yeah, that is an interesting one actually. I think Iman spoke about this on 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 that original classic episode. And I've forgotten what his answer was, but in his mind, like having the right girl was better than being single. And I actually agree in many ways, but it's so rare in my opinion. But then he also said something along, along the lines of, but it's better to be single than have, you know, the wrong girl or someone that's just distracting. Because, yeah, I don't know, Christ. I mean, I guess they're asking maybe my experiences with it. I've definitely been more focused on business single that's just a fact like based on my own experience the correlation yeah that's not to say you couldn't have a relationship and be super focused because there's plenty of cases of people i know or know of or don't know and have seen that are way more successful than me that are in relationships or have been for a long time before but i think it's how the person yeah. you are with the person i guess whether you get the support whether it takes mental energy whether it's like there's friction there that takes your focus but if it's the right person it shouldn't really do that you haven't got a girlfriend have you no no you did for a while yeah I did so how, how was that for you it wasn't really did too... it did anything change when she disappeared no Which not really she didn't disappear she's still <laughs> alive but when, <laughs> when you broke up sounds yeah um, no not really not for me um, no and transparently it wasn't really any different um there's probably friction points whilst together because obviously you'd spend a lot of time I feel like especially in the early stages it takes so much of your attention Mm. and time um, that they can feel like they don't get that time from you it's like that's the biggest thing that competes with you in terms of focus and time yeah so I kind of agree with what Iman says I guess it's kind of a good way to look at it because if you find the right person they should kind of support with what what you do I was about to say that warrant's about to slip so good job he grabbed it Um, should support what you do and should be almost like make it easier and facilitate it but if it's the wrong person it's definitely probably probably regardless of the business aspect probably just the wrong person yeah I suppose the one caveat to it just like final point is obviously when you're single I don't know about you but there's only fucking so long I can go without female interaction of some sort (laughs) like do you know what I mean it's like I don't know I've never done like monk mode for like too long I definitely think there are seasons for it, like particularly winter, it's kind of easier to do. Like not feeling the need to like go and date girls or whatever, or or like socially just be out as much. But yeah, so arguably in in that sense, it's maybe more distracting unless you literally decide to put your like love life on hold until you fucking make it or whatever. But that character's always going to move in it. So it's finding the balance. Yeah. which I try and do. You've had some interesting experiences over the last 12 to 18 months. I feel like you've, taught, you've gone through them all pretty publicly. Yeah, yeah. It's quite funny. 
Gone through your mind, Sven. Um, I guess off the back of that, like quite, a, there's a few people asking how you find the balance between enjoying yourself and the biz. I feel like that's probably something you've covered a few times. I feel like that's very unique to each person. It's like I I see, yeah, I think it's a hard question. It is. I think I saw some eye. I think balance debate. Balance is like a concept that I don't know. It's like usually the people who feel like you have to have balance between the things. Like people who are building a business usually enjoy it. So it's like if you enjoy it, yeah, it's not really a question of balance it's like you already enjoy yourself doing it and it's like this balance between social life and business it's like it's very unique to each person I feel um, but then you get a lot of people who work 9 to 5 saying like oh you should take more time off you should etc etc mm. um, but what do you think yeah I think I've got the balance pretty like pretty almost perfect over like the past five years or whatever like in my 20s because like, I don't think there's anything I've I've not done that I wanted to do we were like travelling fucking cars and shit like stupid trips Um, I think seasons in it really like winter definitely feels like more of a knuckle down get shit done Q4. yeah exactly and then I still travel loads of, like, I say like seasons like, I've, been a, I've been on like nine trips this year and I'm going to Bali for new year and shit um, I think it gets to a point where you can set it up where you get more free time as well like early stages you're always going to be need to be less balanced if you really want to make it work yeah and I, I do agree it's like balance on like a day to day it's like I genuinely have no desire to sit and watch like TV in the evening yeah it's like I think although having said that we do love a good fucking prison film in this flat <laughs> as, as we've discovered recently it's the only films I actually get off my phone and, and pay attention just relate to it prison films yeah just like watched like three prison films recently they fucking Niche. stick with you <laughs> I think about that shit when I'm in bed I'm like the trenches might be bad but solitary confinement for five years is worse so it's just a perspective perspective thing. perspective yeah. is everything I think someone we know I think it was Adam tweeted about how he's he, he felt like what do you do when you get to a point when yeah, I saw that. Operations. But the obvious answer is scale it 10x, no? Unless but, you don't want to do that. But it depends. I feel like you can, some some people could get to a point where they, even without them involved. I don't feel like I've ever got to that point. Like, one of our agencies at the moment, like, I, we've got a COO, we've got a sales team. Like, if I just ceased to exist tomorrow, it would still grow without me, which is why I do other things around it. Yeah. But it's still, I still think there's an argument that if I just focus all my time on that, it would still grow quicker. Feels inevitable. That was the logic in my head of why I like stopped the pod a few months ago. Because in my head, like the thinking was, if I'm spending time on the pod, I'm not spending time working on the brand. But then I had a stark realization of, firstly, the pod is the only fucking time I'm not looking at a screen, basically, unless I'm in the gym. It's the only time I get to speak to people. And like, actually, the pod is, I think, net beneficial for the business anyway. Because two of my biggest investors I met through the pod it's good for like personal brand inverted commas even though my personal brand is just documenting the shit I'm doing I don't really think of it as a personal brand but like even going through like the fundraising process now like I've had so many people reach out to me and not just like young guys or whatever but like experienced investors angels and shit and like oh I've seen your podcast blah 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 I really like the brand so there is that sort of benefit so I think with a pod like this this is what I think maybe like outsiders wouldn't 
expect is like yeah it, we haven't got a million subscribers but you've got I don't know a few thousand people watching this sort of content that's long form yeah I think that's more valuable than a million views on TikTok yeah definitely it's hard, I'd rather have like 5,000 really engaged people than 5 like five million people who just watch and it like and half just... the people that watch this are like entrepreneurs or like investors and like I guess like fairly high level people yeah it's what the same like with intellectually like, and shit it's why it's more like stuff in it's why like content with an e-com on YouTube is more monetizable than yeah exactly so true like music or something very general because yeah. you, you go into an affluent audience it's also within your vertical so it connects you with people and yeah you say that you can't just sit in front of a computer screen and build your brand 12 hours a day I find that the be- I also think when you do that the best ideas come to me never when I'm working ever like, that's very true it's like if I go on a walk or if I'm like just doing something else I'll get an idea that's implement that's like a way better idea than if I'm trying to think about the exact problem sat at a computer screen so you do need some time where you don't just stare at I always get ideas when I'm in the gym or cycling back from the gym and then I have to quickly scramble a note in my phone yeah happened like, today even it happens so much like gym I'm walks like, wow. Must be something to do with like moving. Must yeah, be some science. Steve Jobs there. always no. Yeah, Steve Jobs never took a meeting that wasn't on a walk. Or so someone did. Maybe yeah, I, I think it was him. Yeah, he just always took meetings on walks. Yeah, it makes, that makes sense. Jack goes for walks like twice a day. It's probably why he's scaling harder than me. <laughs> Maybe that's the key. I just sit at my fucking desk. I think walks are sick. Walk with no phone as well. When you take the phone, it defeats the point. Of the yeah, because she's still yeah. plugged in. Whereas if you go with no phone. It come up with so I many need to ideas. do that on my dog walks. That's but, a good idea. Yeah, but I think the pod is pod is pretty aligned. I can see why you would try and park it though. I think singular focus on one business is always going to. You are probably going to end up growing faster, but I, I also think you can get to a point where, as I, I, think, I say, you can. I think get, the pod definitely I, I realise is like net beneficial to do, and I feel like I have a duty to do it now, and I do enjoy doing it. Like it's like my only fucking therapeutic outlet. Just talking about your problems yeah exactly that, that's always what the pod is people oh. think it's me interviewing people it's just me having an excuse to fucking air my problems to someone that thinks they're getting interviewed <laughs> just in front of oh, a few thousand people yeah having a chat like a little soundboard yeah exactly um, if you could go back what's the most important change you would make for progress like I don't know how far back this is going to go but well, I'm going to assume they're saying going back to when I started, when I was like 18, 19, 20, whatever. Yeah, I, I think that and maybe even like the start of your bigger e-com businesses. Because I feel like if you Honestly, go, one thing comes to mind. I would pick one thing. Yeah. Because like even when I was running Midnight and Neon in 2020, like that was probably ultimately the root cause because I have a lot of problems. But I just never... I was never that guy that had one thing and like... You know, I know plenty of people that are much more successful than me and they've definitely stuff focused on one thing for for slightly longer. Um, I finally do feel like I can actually focus on the mushroom space and be my one thing. But yeah, but then I, I say that in hindsight, but I think I have to try different things to realise what I wasn't as bothered about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like not everyone knows what they want to do for the rest of their life when they're fucking 18. In fact, most people don't. Well, I think it's... I think, yeah, you probably would... I kind of agree with you, but I also, from my outside perspective, I disagree with you because Neon was a passion, whereas Midnight was a vehicle to get to a point of having cash flow so you could do what you want. Whereas Neon was very much like, you're way more passionate about that brand than Midnight. And yeah. therefore it's like, all I right. I think I've always just wanted an excuse to make like 
punk cool, shit. Yeah, cool shit. And that's why I probably started the pod <laughs> and, and you brought that aesthetic in and obviously in all the Space Goods movies particularly, one of which is being filmed next week and would be fucking historic. <laughs> it's just me indulging that aesthetic. Yeah. That's why the pod is pink and blue and like all this shit. Yeah. So like... I don't know where that comes from. One thing is like, okay, from, from a neon beach perspective, probably slow down. <laughs> slow down scale and yeah that as well chase the right numbers I guess in fact yeah the other point apart from focusing on probably more relevant point to everyone I would just say well yes slow down in a way but just try and have better foundations and don't do everything yourself yeah have the right people around you and by that I mean more like it's it's hard to do unless you've got a network and at the time I definitely had less of one and less context to acquire the right people but yeah like now I've gone down the exact opposite route because I didn't have experience around me at the time for that scale and it felt normal to be doing a million a month from a kitchen <laughs> then with like no employees and no people with any experience <laughs> but it's not normal no operations yeah like <laughs> no proper stuff um but I guess, uh, that's yeah. what I say. Go on, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was going to no, say a follow. If someone's asked if, if, like, if you identify, if you could pick up, like, if you could go to like an expert in one skill that you think would have the biggest impact. They've worded it really weird, but they're basically trying to say if you could go from if if there's one skill you you wanted you could you could fucking bloody hell I can't even get it out. You get better at this. If you could master one skill that you feel like would have the biggest impact on maybe your your business or your life, what would you pick? They've worded it terribly, so I butchered that myself. But I mean, is this something that I'm, I don't think I'm good at now? That you think would have the biggest impact? Yeah. Probably like hiring and team management. So I do think I'm very good at what I'm best at, which is probably like zero to one brand. Yeah. I don't think I've mastered it, but definitely getting there. But like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not an operator in that. I, I like to just fucking be like borderline autistic and just fucking not speak to people and just do my own shit on my computer. Even though I do, I do enjoy speaking to people more. It's just like the process of hiring someone new, I find like painful. Unless, unless well. I know them and have like context, I'm like, oh, fuck me. It is hard. Like dealing with like tell you, human souls. Did I tell you that we, we got, right at the start of COVID, um, we hired this guy on London Wage and throughout the London whole- London Wage, what's that? Like, as in like- On a London Obviously wage. We're, we, we're based in- Oh, right, so I like, it's like a website called So like if wage. you're based in, yeah, if you're based in Leeds, you can pay people less than if you're in London because the living costs way higher down here. Um, mm. Convinced us through the whole interview process he was based in London and then found out he was based in Kenya. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. Fucking hell. Gotta like, respect the hustle. Like double, double. Well, you didn't do any due diligence. No, on I that. did. I did, but like, just was convinced. He had a he had a UK address, UK bank account, but he was just living in Kenya. And I only found out because, <laughs> fuck you know, kind of ba- like That's I, I just had no idea. Then I found out because a client was like, "Are you are you outsourcing our work to Kenya?" And then I went on. Do you know if you go on Facebook Ad Library, you can see where people are running your ads from? Yeah. You just had Kenya. So where was his address from? Uh, central London, like somewhere. But how did he have that? I don't know. I don't. Like, I didn't dig into it to be honest. I just got rid of, got rid of him. But was he an employee? Yeah, yeah, payroll employee. Fucking hell. Um, but it's like it's so hard to hire. It, like we've got it down now. I think. But I honestly fucking. Yeah, yeah, I'm just not. Yeah. I would say I'm like borderline disabled when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, you are definitely. I would definitely just get someone to do it for me at, at the next hiring point. I don't think you need many hires for a 
the Econ brand though, really. I honestly, I said this on a call earlier to this fucking like angel investor and he asked me about team and I said, I honestly think I could, could get to like 2 million a month with the same team I have now. Maybe one more person. How many people you got? Five. And then me, six. But they're all freelance or part-time as well. Like, I don't have any, yeah. it, it doesn't, doesn't need to be. I think it's that Reese Wabara. He says, you don't need more, you need better. Yeah, good, I completely agree. I also really like, motto. and I won't name the brand, but there's some brand that I've been speaking to. Oh, fuck, I probably shouldn't say this because then I know who I'm speaking <laughs> about. There's some brand that I saw and basically I have some context on their numbers and they're much smaller than I originally thought. But then they're linked in. They've got like 20 employees, like actual employees. And you can just tell. And I don't know the full backstory, but it's a cl- it looks like a classic case of they've raised a load of money. They've got fuck all revenue. Yeah, the founder is a certain type of founder which I'm not going to say because someone will work out who it is and they'll watch it or some shit and it's just like their revenue like annual revenue per employee must be like 10 grand or some bullshit not quite that low but in my, in my mind I think as a lean econ brand you should be doing a million per year per person basically as a general rule of thumb maybe not quite as high in certain Depends up after spaces after. so like if you've got a team of 10 you should be doing 10 mil a year yeah, beyond a certain point. Well, it depends how much of the price At least you half own. a million per... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's like true. if you own... Because obviously if you're outsourcing 3PL and shit, it's yeah. way lower. Like, it, yeah, it depends on the setup of the company, but I think, yeah, you can do it really lean. You can do it lean if you've got killers, like, but you need, like, shit hot people. Yeah. There's, there's some companies we work with where you go in and you're like, what are five people on this call even here for? Yeah, they don't say anything. They don't engage in anything. They're just like it's actually so funny as well because I've been on like a few calls with like I was looking at some headless commerce thing for example the other day, like some enterprise level software basically. And the first question I ask is like, "Can I ask your role in the company?" I was like, "I'm the founder. I feel like I do everything. Like who the who do you think I was? Like the fractional fucking vice president of tech. Like come on." I'm the founder. Yeah. Shut up. Let's just get on with the meeting. I don't yeah. know. It's just like strange corporate shit. And like they knew, they knew the details of the business. It's like, you think they'd just Google it. Yeah. Is it, there is so funny. many people in companies that do fuck all. It's like well, Elon just laid off so yeah. many people. Twitter still so works. True. And now Google are laying off loads of people. And now he's, he's apparently started the shift back towards like lower wages in tech because companies are realizing that most of the staff do nothing. And they just don't yeah. eat it off of them. They like go to pottery class at 11am. Yeah, that's what, started that, that's what started his big thing. Yeah. Like, did you see that, that video? That, that TikTok Twitter, thing. The Twitter employer. Yeah, it's yeah. like the day was just a joke. Yeah, that's literally what I'm referencing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, what? It's just like so many people do nothing. So I think you can, if you condense it down, you can keep it crazy lean. And then just, yeah, bring the right people in. If you've got the good enough people. And then lowers your risk, keeps your overheads low. Yeah, I've, I've, I've touched on more like general questions. I'm just seeing if there's any more general questions. Massey Costa Sarah Amarone Classico, 15%. It's a vintage red Malbec from France. Is it from France? I don't know, I'm making that up. Sommelier in the making. We should start doing fucking wine reviews at the start of these episodes, or mid-episode perhaps. Maybe that's a sponsor. Let's get wines. But that's, that I still need to release the Unicorn Blood Midnight Pod <laughs> custom wine. That'd be fucking chaos. Uh, anyway moving on um, yeah I'm just rattling through these questions started with the kind of general stuff but there's a lot that are quite like technical e-com questions um, I guess a good segue from like 
general to that is like one, someone's asked are you are you ever unsure on what the next step is to take the brand to the next level like do you ever feel like you you lack that vision or clarity on like what's the best next step I do think that's quite a good question actually I think it's a good question because I feel like not every it's I think it's hard sometimes like not every lever you can pull is going to have the most it's the same output so like something you might do might have like 50x leverage one might have like 5x Mm. like I think making those decisions correctly over and over again over time is often what separates like a brand that gets to a plateau and a brand that just scales because momentum's so big in business yeah if you lose momentum in growth, it becomes really hard to get it, it again. I lost it with Midnight, do you remember? Yeah, like, yeah. When I started focusing on Neon, because the pendulum swung, Neon was going, and it, that was a classic case. I think it's massive momentum. I think momentum's like one of the biggest things. It's so, like, when you're, when you're, when you have, like, scaling momentum in business, like, you should just double down, even if it's through problems. That's why it's so annoying running out of stock. So I've, I've killed, I was literally saying this earlier, we're killing momentum on ads. It's nice. It, yeah, even, even it's from all right, temporarily, but yeah, it goes you, beyond ads, doesn't it? It's like just the whole vibe of the business. Because as you're getting better signals through an ad platform, your CPA is dropping or you're getting more customers, like you're going to get better CPM. It's like a positive flywheel effect. So like, I think making strategic decisions on what thing to focus on to produce the most asymmetric returns is like one of the biggest things, but it is sometimes hard to do that from... Yeah, what was the question exactly? Um, do you ever find it... Are you ever unsure on what the next step is to take to take to to take the brand to the next level? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I never I never worked on a brand long enough in the past, funnily enough, to like think beyond the because I feel like, funnily enough, Jimmy Hill, who Hairburst, who was on, I'm saying his full name because people search the episode. He said on the episode with him that he thinks that the zero to a million or a few million in revenue is the hardest part. And I stopped in my tracks and thought, fucking hell, if you think that's the hardest part, then I'm onto a winner because I've done that like twice before and what, three times if you include like drop shipping. And I found that the easiest part. My problem was I felt like I got to bedroom brand scale every time and I've already done that again with, with space goods now. Like a few million run rate, fine. So like if he thinks that's, that's the hardest part, then all right, cool, we're onto a winner. But for me, I suppose I'd never really thought beyond that because I always got... I never spent more than I think 18 months on one brand without starting another fucking brand which sounds ridiculous but I guess I'm still relatively young so I've got time to fucking I need to focus like I guess the the first thought is yes I've never really gone long enough so now I've thought from the start I need to go at least five years in this brand no matter what the fuck happens yeah. or at least three if someone comes and buys us in year three fine but so yeah I suppose now because I've got mainly because I've got fucking investors which is fucking invaluable like particularly like probably Alex and Jimmy and then yeah probably those who I speak to most because they've built and sold businesses and actually made a fuckload of money not like money Twitter I'm a guru money like actual money from a real business yeah. which is very different in my opinion um, because not there's very few people that have actually done that and like on Twitter and all these yeah. I don't know bullshit spheres people just flex and they're not actually rich whereas yeah. these guys are actually rich um so yeah, and, and learning how they think about things has helped me think about like what's the actual what am I actually trying to achieve with the business? And like, yeah, I guess I've got a bit clearer on it. But like, what's the question? Like the, the next. Are you step? ever unsure? Or like, say yeah, say you've got to a certain point. Is like what the what the next 
step is to take to get to the next Yeah, level. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's quite kind of, hard. It's quite a hard question because it's like, there's usually not one thing that takes you Yeah, it's so like, there's like, so many things and it gradually just, goes to the next level. You thing. don't just launch this campaign and go from X to Y in like one step. It's like your ecosystem lifts over time. Do you know the one thing I will say then? I think this will come up in another question. And I've think thinking about this before. I think the whole, again, money Twitter sphere and just like younger, newer, like e-com guys or whatever that start businesses. I think they only think about ads it's literally all they think about. Yeah. Like that's why if you go on Twitter, there's only threads about ads. There's yeah. never threads about products. There's never threads about general broader strategy. There's never threads about basically anything else. Yeah. And like the other things are what you should be thinking about. Because for example, I, I don't even think of Space Goods as a D to C brand. I think of it as a brand that yeah. happens to currently be selling one SKU on D to C. Well, you want to get it from as close to D to C to as close to SaaS as you can because you're a subscription product. Like. You want to get to a point where your churn rates, like your churn rate and your subscription is at the level of a SaaS business. But you're probably yeah, never going to get that, to that point. But I but, meant more like, I don't even think of it as an e-com brand. Right, I think okay. of it as a brand yeah. that is currently selling, or more than just a brand, I think of it as like a vision or a mission yeah, I was gonna say, that is like, currently selling an, an e-commerce product. Because what I mean by that is like, I think longer term, it could be more of like a fucking science company. Yeah. Like a compass with pathways the, yeah, or some shit. The, that might sound completely in. flippant and ridiculous, but like when I'm speaking to like investors and shit recently, which I've had bare calls, like that's the sort of stuff they're asking me. And I think, yeah, like it's it's inter- it's difficult to step back from like the trenches, so to speak, and think about like what you're actually, actually trying to achieve. And, and that's when the answers to, to that question, do I ever think about what I'm doing next? That's where you get clearer on that. So yeah, you, you, I think it's useful. But I think it takes like a bit of experience and maturity to even think about that because most yeah, people are just so in the trenches it's, and they're just thinking about ads. Yeah, basically. I think like two things. Firstly, like a DTC run that goes from zero to one to then from one to 10, like your ecosystem changes. Like you're very ads rely. Like you can take a, a, a DTC brand with a good product from zero to a million with a couple of landing pages, a few creatives, some paid channels and yeah, good offer. But then to go from one to 10, it's like you need, you you want to move your reliance away from paid traffic, you want retention, like there's so many things. I, I would even say zero to 10 million should just be the first category. Yeah, just simple. Or well, certainly zero to three to five million. Yeah, you don't need much. And that's why, that's how you test products really quickly as well. You just need, you don't need, you, yeah. you don't want to build like this mad ecosystem before you've got proof of concept. Um, then secondly, I think like, we we do a thing with quite a lot of our clients where you try and pull the business out to what we call like a 30,000 foot view. So I feel yeah. like when you're really in the trenches, like you overcomplicate what you're actually doing. But like an e- a successful e-com brand or a successful company is usually that you're usually doing like less tasks than you think really well is the key to get into scale. So like mm. an e-commerce brand is like production, manufacturing, logistics, attention, conversion and retention like that's all it is it's like you produce something you you fulfill it you get attention on it you convert the attention through a website slash landing page and then you retain those customers it's like you've you're fund- fundamentally doing those five things mm. and doing it well and if you do all of them well then you kind of it's a little, little weasel in the corner <laughs> um, i have to go let this little cunt in um yeah go on Come on. 
Hey. He's coming in. He's coming in. Come on. He'll be, he'll be more relaxed and sedated now. Um. Hey, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Oh, don't, don't, oh, fuck. Right, just keep going. But I think, like, yeah, when you pull it out to that kind of when you tr I think simplify complexity and that allows you to then get this viewpoint of like right where's my bottleneck in this process is it production is it logistics is it getting enough awareness is it co getting conversion at a good enough point is it retaining customers and then you just zoom in fix it then zoom out again I think if you repeat that process that's how we yeah. treat our agency growth it's like where do you where is our bottleneck go in relentlessly fix the bottleneck zoom out find the next bottleneck and the bot that's all the business is is like what is your limitation on taking input to output? So for you, it's like taking product to revenue mm. profitably. It's like if, if you can identify that bottleneck every time and focus on fixing it, then it's just going to get more efficient as you put more input in and more output. Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Sam Evans used to speak about that a lot. Of yeah, he has like some got, chart for it. That's where I got that video. That's literally the video. I, he's taken that video off YouTube so he can't reference it yeah. until we make it. That's so true. I have this like fucking God level... Google Sheet, which is like, I think it's called Scale Unicorn Focus Planning. And it's got like m multiple tabs. And like one of the tabs is like, what is the biggest problem right now? Yeah. And, like, and that rele that's relevant to the question Jack mentioned earlier. And like, I guess the biggest problem right now is I don't have enough stock. So yeah. like it's, then it's like, okay, how do I fix that problem? I either buy more stock. Find more suppliers. Or, you know, find more suppliers, get more cash to buy bigger, bigger bunches of stock. So it's less of a recurring problem, or I like reduce the lead time. You know, there's a billion ways to look at it. So I think that's an answer to that question. Is that if as long as you have some setup that allows you to identify what your bottleneck is, then you should never really be unsure of what the next step is. Like you yeah. might not know exactly what it is. So if you need more, it's, it's harder in some areas. So if say you need like you're you've got everything else is going well, all you need to do is feed more people into the funnel then maybe you need to work out what the best channel or mechanism is to do that. But like, if you know that like your conversion rate's unreal, your retention's unreal, your product and your logistics is fine, then it gives you a focus of like, right, how do I just increase the eyeballs on this? Um, yeah. I think the one thing I learned from the previous businesses is now I'm just trying to make everything as beautifully simple as possible. Yeah. Like I'm almost, I almost don't even want to launch fucking Dream Dust because it's a new product. <laughs> like I have this Complexity. vision that I could just get to a hundred million revenue with just one skew. Yeah, I feel like greens have done it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like, a case of going super deep and perfecting that one thing. Yeah. They've done it so well. Like, do you take off like greens? Just fucking over there at a yeah, box, but yeah. I, I drink it Every well. call I've had recently with investors and shit, I reference Huel and Athletic Greens. Yeah. Because I think it's good to build up reference points for people like that, because then they are, I can see the vision. But then also, they, I'm subscribers to both, and I think they're like the most beautiful businesses ever. Although I don't didn't get when Huel went into clothing. I think no, that was weird. odd. Weird. <laughs> but just, that was got too yeah, much money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but particularly invested. Athletic Greens, that's probably an even better example because they've got. I think they technically have more than one skew. They've got a few other like accessories, which yeah. I guess is similar to me. But Their one primary are so skew. So complimentary though, like so yeah. perfectly aligned. I ordered from them and I got the accessories in a box. And then the actual supplement in a different package, which I was like, you must be... Really? I got the, the full box over there, which is like the full... It's weird. Maybe the it's pretty expensive as well. It's like 80 quid a month. Yeah, 79 quid a month. But I feel like it works, so I'm keep mine. Yeah, I don't know if it's placebo, but... If it is, it, feels, it still works. It feels like it works. So... Um, 
Yeah, simplicity is what I'm trying to do. Are there any other brands like that? There's a couple of brands. One brand I'm really liking at the moment is Pure Sport. Have you, do you follow those? Yeah, I do. I've got their pitch I, men- I think I mentioned them to you the, the other week, the other day. Like, I think, I think what, they're a cool brand, yeah. They're a cool brand in the supplement space. I like the community. But like, Very I think, community. I, I think any brand based. that has a really strong community aspect is a, a real winner. It, it will be a real winner because it spreads like word of mouth. Like word of mouth is so powerful. Yeah. So any brand that you get referred to word of mouth is is like a sign of a good brand that like you're doing something right um, they're an example yeah agreed else. yeah I'm trying to think is there anything I've seen that I really like anything recently Pure Sport are cool I mean in terms of simplicity there's not many businesses that get that big with so much, so little skews mm. which is what I, I've always whenever I saw Athletic Greens I was just like something about it just clicked yeah and I ripped their fucking landing page for my Black Friday offer. Did you? Yeah. Did it convert? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Love it. So, I mean, just, it's, it, you know, it's, they're not a competitor, so it's like, it felt ethical. Oh, here he is. I'm yeah, a co-host. They're, you're back. in a different lane to them. You're going to very different people. Theirs is very, like, cut and dry, black and white. Like, like yours is more creative. Um, yeah. Way more creative. I think, though, that we, yeah, well, they've grown so fast. It's crazy. I mean, it's like twelve years old. To be fair. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I guess. I didn't even know that. But that's that's a sign of you think that's an example of where you think it's overnight success, but then yeah. the work is actually. I'd never happening. heard of him until about a year ago. I I only heard of him off the podcast. I'd so they started ripping, and then I, then when I'd heard of him, I couldn't get him. I couldn't get yeah, away from same. him. It's like getting like twelve frequency a day off just them. Yeah, on, on socials. Um, but yeah, I think like. A, a, a good way to approach business is always try and get a 30 foot thousand view like 30 30 thousand foot view I can't remember who told me that saying like try and just step as far back as possible and simplify everything because mm. usually you think it's more complex than it actually is when you yeah. actually pull out it's like you are usually just doing five like macro things that have loads of little subtasks well yeah that's very get true to your output it's like life is simple humans make it complicated yeah yeah and it's just like get out of the weeds and focus on what matters and it'll, you'll, you'll probably beat most people um, yeah next question what do you think are the best business models for 2023 that's a bit of a, I don't know if that's even a good question I feel right, like I'm going to explain why I hate this sort of question right yeah. because I think it comes from the classic mindset of people that are forcing themselves to start a business whereas I always think that's the wrong way around like for me, for example, like I just got into e-com because I like designing logos. That was it. Maybe that's way more romantic and fucking cute than other people's examples. But like, I don't know, people that start an agency because they watched a certain person's YouTube video. See, it feels was, a bit forced. I was discussing And that question, I imagine, comes from someone who's in that mindset. Yeah, wants to I, I want to start a business because I want to be like X person. Well, that comes from, that probably it's comes from It's not coming from a place of actual interest or yeah. passion. See, that probably comes from a mindset of like, what's the easiest way for me to make money? That's where that's come from. Like, yeah. well, how do I start a business that's going to succeed? But I think, I, I look at it two ways. Like, you can either, you can go with the way you said, which is like, right, write down what you're interested in and try and find a business off that, which is chasing your passions. But if you're, if you're wanting to get out of like nine to five, I don't yeah, actually true. think there's anything wrong with finding the best vehicle, getting to a point where you've earned enough money to get, you, get the time to then pivot into what you want to do. Because yeah. I, I think, like, fundamentally, there is some businesses that are easier to start than others. Yeah, and easier that's very to true. get to a point of making maybe 5k a month take home, which then gives you time and freedom to then pivot into what you're actually interested in. Yeah, so with that said, yeah, I agree. 
because it's funny because I, I, I can never cite exactly how I even got into e-com because it like happened so gradually and like this I took fucking ages to do it compared to all these TikTok millionaires that flex their Cartier watches and shit and naming their names but yeah I, I do agree um, I think chasing your passions is fundamentally a I think starting stupid. an agency is way easier than starting a brand yeah, it is. Maybe not way easier. It's way less risky financially, I suppose. It's probably a better way to put it. But like, that, that is why, if we're completely honest, there is 20 agency owners to every brand owner. Probably mm-hmm. more, at least certainly on Twitter. And I get it because it's a cash flow business. A lot. And, uh-huh. it, and it makes sense. It's basically the only business you can start. That or dropshipping, if you have no money. And dropshipping is a lot harder, at least from what I know these I think days. You've got, to, you've got to separate it a true agency from one person in the bedroom yeah that's very true so like freelancer versus agency like yeah. you're a glorified freelancer until you have an in-house team of people servicing businesses at a high level that don't leave you after two months yeah that's when you that's become an agency true. and when you get word of mouth like snowball yeah I'm, I'm just sick of all service. these inverted commas agencies which is like an 18 year old in their bedroom and I respect the hustle but sending like automated emails when you have no experience trying to sign people to pay a five grand retainer it's like daylight yeah. like robbery you should do free trials, in my opinion, until you get a case study. That's how we grew. We do a free trial, prove you actually do what you do, charge the person for the free trial, then use the case study as proof of concept to fact sign more clients. But everyone shuns case studies and they're like, oh, go charge. Go. Everyone shuns free trials. But it's not ethical to go to a business owner who has to spend their money on Facebook through you mm. and say, like, I'm going to get you these results when you've never done it before. Yeah, I agree. I think That's they, how you got started, isn't it? Yeah, you did free trials for a couple of companies. Out yeah, of I think you have to. It's like it's just like go work. You for have free. to get your hands dirty. Yeah, go work in for any free. arena. And if you're good at it, you'll only have to work for free for thirty to sixty days, and then you can put in a contract. Oh, when we, if we hit X target, then you'll pay us anyway. So it's like a time-based trial. Yeah, I, I could ramble on about the agency space so think, long, but like I think the problem is all these. Not not that everyone is eighteen year old and whatever, but like the typical eighteen year old that's finished school or 21 year old that finished union wants to start a business they go to agency but then they watch certain YouTubers and they think oh they're multi-millionaires so I need to be a multi-millionaire within a fucking year so yeah. I'm gonna charge as much as I can for the, the the most subpar service and pretend I'm making way way more way much more much more money than I am like a lot of people on Twitter yeah. who like fucking seem to think that everyone makes 500 grand a month lives in Marbella and like there's a lot of examples of this whereas it's like that's not the reality of starting a business that you started a year ago like there's right. so many people particularly on Twitter as well that have been in business a year and think they're like the fucking goat of the industry yeah. and it's just like disrespectful so yeah to get to a point of like a true agency that's mature we've got like 30, like nearly 30 team members like once you get to that size like you're not going to make more than 30 like a good agency makes 30% profit margin on that like good like that if, and again like it beca- at that point it becomes a people business like you're selling people's time it's a very much a culture play like mm. what what takes you again what takes you from zero to one doesn't take you from one to ten for like a ser- even a service based business like you can earn you c- if your goal is to take home five to ten k a month you should be a freelancer you shouldn't try and build an agency you should go and sell your own time yeah get ridiculously good at one skill and then go sell it to people like you and go and be like, oh, I'll do your media buying across three platforms for 5K a month, but, I, but I'll absolutely kill it as one person. And like loads of companies hi- would hire that person. Yeah, like, the key thing there is absolutely kill it yeah, and be yeah. good at it. So like, yeah. There's too many people that actually aren't very good at what they do, trying to charge loads. Like we, we would always rather 
provide more value than what we charge for than provide like that that's just that oh like undercharge over deliver like not undercharge like you don't want to underprice your service but like always over deliver always go further than you actually like if we're contracted to do facebook ads we'll consult on like cro we'll consult on like content mm. but we're fundamentally paid to just do the media buying but like you over you over deliver and then you get more opportunities and that's how you should so to answer his question the best business model if you're just getting started is definitely service-based like i think it's because you because you're just selling your time yeah you don't have to have any cash that could be anything like one opportunity that i think is really good right now is um doing tiktok marketing for local businesses because everybody uses tiktok as a search engine for local like if, if you're going to london for example you'll be like oh i won't search google anymore i'll search on tiktok yeah. you could do content for local businesses charge them like a grand a month each for restaurants and bars and shit and just do the do the tiktok content and seo yeah I'm, I'm still trying to find an agency to do tiktok organic properly so, yeah to good. manage it i actually paid an agency yeah. two months ago five grand and they still haven't published a video there's, there's a few of that a bit of that was my fault because the stock didn't arrive whatever but anyway i'm not going to go into it because I'm, I'm letting them redeem themselves but um, it's a classic case of i just got fucking upsold on a call it made me make the payment on the call shouldn't have paid until product had arrived with the creator all this shit and yeah. like two months later they've been paid eight weeks ago and i haven't received anything yet yeah and it's like wait a minute i'm just i'm a muck in this situation yeah i'm being too nice about this you are definitely I just want to answer his question with another podcast that you should go listen to. Tom West. You should go and listen to it. There's a podcast called My First Million. There's a guy called Andrew Wilkinson just did an episode. He's a billionaire. He has a portfolio of maybe like 50 companies. He owns everything from brick and mortar to SaaS all the way through. Ecom, service-based. And he does an episode on best businesses to start based on his experience. So he's mm. probably the most well-placed. Yeah, because this pod's very econ-focused, but there's a lot of shit that isn't econ and might actually be better for a lot of people. He's the most well-placed person in the world. He literally spends 40 minutes talking about it. Go listen to that. You'll get a lot of value. Um, yeah, there's some interesting questions here. One of them is, what is the biggest issue you face when building a subscription model? I think you've kind of you've kind of already spoken about that, in a sense. Your current biggest issue is stock, but what do you envision your biggest issue to be maybe 24 months to two, three years down the line, subscription-based. I think it's always going to be churn. Like, yeah, I was about to say that. Churn. I think just stopping people cancelling. Um, I guess ultimately, if you know the average lifetime, like right now, it's like 4.4 months or something. That's, That's with one Very product. Um, as long as your LTV's CAC ratio works out over like six months or a year and you know the churn, I think the biggest problem would be churn suddenly massively increasing. And then suddenly your numbers as a business don't make sense. Yeah, through recession um, or something. Yeah. Because that's what the first, one of the first things to go through recession is subscriptions. Like people just got canceling shit. Mm. Just factually. I think the key to churn as a subscription company is usually like SaaS is, obviously you're one product now. And I think this becomes easier as you get bigger with more funding and especially in the vertical you're in. If, if, you're, if people are subscribed to your products but they see you doing such rapid innovation and be like the, the leader in this space and bringing out new products like rapidly then and, and adding value to them from like a, not even just like, obviously they're subscribed to maybe space, like um, like a core skew, but you're adding value to them through information or events. Or like there's so, like when you get to that size, it becomes easier for someone 
it's ultimately a value add. Like if you're adding value beyond the price point of the subscription, yeah, exactly. You're not going to leave. It's perceived. That's value. why I think it's you like, have to not compete on price. Yeah, because I had a few people ask me like, "Oh, you're more expensive than this brand. Is that a problem?" It's like no, I don't think it is because I think particularly with subscription, yeah, it's all about value and like trying to build a brand. Like, I want to be in a position where we could double prices and people still stay. Yeah, I mean that's probably an extreme example, but it's all gone. Yeah, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, I think that's realistic though. So, yeah. Like, I think there's some subscriptions that people are subscribed to right now. That right. So if you had your phone, if you had your phone contract, and every single phone provider in the world was just like we're doubling prices today, there's no way you'd contract. You'd know where you cancel it because the perceived value of your phone is higher than yeah. Is higher is is the, the, what you the utility you get from that. There's is definitely a lot of subscriptions I have that I probably don't even know I have. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't bothered to look. There's loads of people who would who say watch Netflix loads if Netflix like there's a lot of people who cancel but there's a lot of people who other people whose perceived value of Netflix is worth double the price yeah it's like it's, it's very unique to each person it's very hard to predict because each person's characteristics and behaviour and price sensitivity is different but it's all about like whether and, and it can shift with economic climate and things like that can change your perceived value of something but it's ultimately keeping that perceived value of your subscription higher than the product price like what the ben- the net benefit of them being subscribed higher than the product price? That doesn't just have to come from the product. Could be yeah, exactly. Like even if being just being part of a community or something yeah, like that, or even just they like the fucking packaging, so they keep the packaging when it's done. Like little things like that. Like people are fucking weird. Do you know what I mean? Like you're ultimately selling an experience. Yeah. With anything. Um. So yeah, I think that's very true. Um. God. Uh. There must be some on Twitter as well. There's loads. There's yeah, like a hundred yeah, yeah. questions. I'm just, writing, I'm just reading past a few to see if they're, any, if they're worth asking. There's got to be a few in there. Uh, My dog is chewing a red pen marker. He's a chaotic little <laughs> little hound. He's, cha- <laughs> he's chaotic. His face right now. He's, he's crooked. He's enjoying it. He's loving it. He can have it. How are you finding the second capital raise plans and what are your plans on deploying it if you've got those in yeah place that's quite a good question actually because I'm yeah, the world's most transparent man I'll just be upfront about it so I'm trying to raise a million quid at a 10 million pound pre-money valuation which if it, and I'm confident I can do that by the way if I can do that eight months into the business and so that's a pretty fucking good result on paper very good sign for me and every investor, including you. Yeah. You're a fucking 5X or whatever. 6X, I don't even know. Yeah, 6X, um, I think. On paper, but still, that's kind of what most valuations are. Um, so yeah, this kind of came around quicker than I maybe anticipated because people started approaching me, or namely funds started approaching me over the past few months. And then I spoke to like Simon and Alex or whatever, and we are just like, well... It's kind of in the model that we need to do a smaller fundraise, like next year anyway. Yeah. In fact, there's another question on here, which I think will link to this, but I'll answer that separately. There's a question about the value of a business rather than the profit of a business. I want to go into that because I think it's fucking interesting, but we'll answer that next because it's relevant to what I'm saying. And I've reverse engineered this business from the start from what I think is a good perspective and and the knowledge I've built, but also more importantly, the input I've had from investors and advisors, etc., 
who are actually fucking rich. So I listen to them and they've done what I'm trying to do. And ultimately fundraising is part of that process to get to where I want to be. And I think the thing that scares people with fundraising is, oh, but then I've got to give away equity and so on. And yes, but like in one sentence, I'd rather have 50% of a hundred million than a hundred percent of 10 million. Great saying. I'd rather have a slice of a watermelon than the whole grape. Yeah, I've heard that before. It's the same shit. It's the same shit. Yeah, it's a great so like, saying. I, I love that. That, in a nutshell, is the logic behind let's fundraise to go bigger as soon as possible. So, yeah, um, the plan is a million quid at 10 million pre money, um, which which means that pre money, for anyone that doesn't, doesn't understand, means essentially it means that a million quid doesn't get 10% exactly. It'll end up being like 9.61% yeah. or some bullshit because you have to create new shares. That's why it's called pre-money and post-money. So the post-money valuation might technically be like 10.72 million or something. I'm going to have to anyway. take my felt tip off him. He's through the lid. He's through the, <laughs> he's through <laughs> he's through the, the lid. lid. <laughs> Fucking hell. The, the felt tip puppy. Yeah, he's filthy. <laughs> he's such a crook. <laughs> he needs his ball. I don't know where the fuck his ball's gone. Anyway, don't so, knock that over yeah wait sorry to interrupt carry on so how's that process been um, so yeah so my logic was make a fucking pitch deck which I hadn't done properly in a while so I whipped a 35 pager up which basically I had like a teaser version and a full version on pitch.com which I'd recommend by the way might get them to sponsor yeah, really the pod good. whipped that up in a weekend um, having no experience really making pitch decks apparently it was quite good I think it looks good I then put a post on LinkedIn and Twitter everything with like the numbers and shit it's basically like a, a teaser to get people intrigued because ultimately like the more eyeballs the better in my view and I was happy to share the pitch deck with anyone a lot of people are so secretive about oh but it's got the numbers in or like like the basic numbers in and so on I was like it's net beneficial to share that with anyone that wants to see it Yeah. so obviously put it through the pod etc and I had basically like a fuckload of leads if you like like angels and funds and I've just spoken to a lot of them over like the past three weeks. Um, and yeah, I think it's going well. I'm confident I can close it by the end of Jan. Quick. Which apparently would be pretty impressive in this market if I actually can do that by the end of Jan at that valuation this soon. Um, but yeah, like the plan is essentially some existing shareholders will put some more money in as part of their preemption rights which just means their legal right to pretend to put my money in to um, prevent dilution. And then some angels will probably come in. The question is whether I get a fund involved or just do it with angels. And I'm still having conversations about that, so. Yeah, pros and cons to Yeah, I mean, it's very tiring speaking to a lot of people about your business all the time, but it's also very, I, I do enjoy it a lot, to be fair. We're going through the same process for that app. Oh yeah. We're trying to raise three mil. Different ball game, fucking app. Yeah, it? very different ball game. And ours is like fundamentally pre-rev. Like it's got nothing but MVP. You're almost selling the the vision, and even more so selling the vision of this, like what this can be, with like models and, like obviously like best case scenario, middle ground, worst mm. case scenario. Um, to VCs, we've only had one interview. We've had one in person interview. Sorry, um, one one in person pitch with two guys who are worth like a hundred mil plus each which was interesting. I've never done an in-person pitch before, but it's quite good. Yeah. Um, it's not that complex, so you just put a side deck together and go speak to him. I <laughs> think you either like the idea or the The day. thing I've found, maybe it's just my character, and it's definitely the feedback I've had, and like, I can tell when, like, 
I think I'm very good on the, these sort of calls because A, I don't script anything. I mean, I just never have ever. I've never been that sort of person. Yeah. B, I, I, I clearly am passionate about the business and it's all I fucking think about. So any question I ask is just na- instinctively answered. Like I haven't, it's not like I'm on Dragon's End and I have to prepare a load of numbers and I might forget them. But I just know it because yeah. it, it, it's all I fucking do anyway. And finally, I think I think I try and... One thing I probably naturally am quite good at is I try and just create like a connection with anyone, whether there's some... Like I spoke to someone that's meant to be a fucking billionaire today and they're an investor in one of my investors' businesses. And like within like two minutes, I was speaking about like my struggle with depression when I was younger and shit because I could just tell that that's the way this was going to go. And I could tell within five minutes he was in and like, and it was probably going to be... Something that would convert, it's the, like even so at like your stage. knowing how to read people and just play and lead the conversation based on the sort of questions they're asking, and it's harder to do on like Zoom calls and shit, which is all I've done. Yeah, you can't. Really but I think it's a fun process. To be fair, like people grilling you on your business, and, and to be honest, in like early calls, it's not that anyway. It's not like they're going through due diligence and shit. Although some people are now doing that on like later stages. It's more, ultimately, people are buying into you. the vision for the business, but primarily you. Yeah. It's why we invest. You have it's why, why a lot of both. people invest in that angel round with you, first round, is because they buy into you. They've seen your, your track record. It's yeah. even at that stage, even with what we're doing as well, like a large proportion of that pitch deck that you put together is you. Maybe not the second, your second stage yeah. now, but like there's still going to be an element of you in there. There has to be. Yeah. Um, and they're buying into you and like it's your vision it's your journey that you they're going to go on with you um, I think transparency there's a, I can't remember who I was listening to I think it was the guy who founded Bebo I can't remember someone like that some oh proper. yeah is he, he some like, like American Asian guy yeah Sean Peary hosts, he hosts My First Million I think I can't remember if it was him or someone else it's not him but I know you mean the Bebo guy and he was talking about like how you should go into a pitch meeting and you should be like, these are all the reasons you shouldn't invest in my business and like, just get it out on the table. Like this is like all of the things I think that could go wrong. And yeah, a lot well, of the time I mean, that'll work. One of the first things I mentioned is I like, when they asked my work. background, I emphasized the fact that I fucked up one of my previous businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, that's always a positive because A, they're glad that you're honest and you're not just fucking virtue signaling. But yep. B, they're like, all oh, right, so you've got some experience. Yep. So it's like a win-win. Yeah, exactly. And it seems to go down well. It's like it, well, you think it'll come across as a negative, but by getting those cards out of the table, it's almost like they have nothing else to talk about. It's like you've, yeah. you've, you've got you've got ahead of them. But exactly. Yeah, I think like so. so his, his question was, how are you finding it, and what are your plans on deploying it? Where are you going to put it? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, all investors ask me that, and ultimately, the business isn't profitable yet because I'm trying to acquire as many subscribers, what well, customers, but namely subscribers as possible, as soon as possible to get to like a critical mass, I guess. Um, and, and this leads on to maybe a question a guy asked later about um, something about value and how you're planning on selling it if you're not profitable, blah, blah, blah. So I guess ultimately there's a cash gap in the model at some point. So it firstly plugs that, but the cash gap comes from spending more money on basically two things like more stock and more ads to acquire customers especially when you're on a subscription model like in six months we know that the LTV of a subscriber is 154 quid and this is in the deck which probably plenty of people that have watched it have maybe seen 
are listening that have seen. Yeah. But our CAC on subscribers is like 60 quid. So. Worth it then. But we know that we're not break even or profitable on that order until like month. Top of my fucking head with wine, probably like month three or some shit. Yeah. But then you have to figure out how to plug that gap. And obviously over time that become less problematic because you've got more repeat subscribers and etc. But when you're trying to grow super quick and especially when you're buying stock alongside that that has a three month lead time and you're paying 50-50 terms, blah, blah, blah. You just need more cash to chuck on the fire basically. And yes, a lot of people say, why don't you go and get debt financing? Well, yeah, you can do that with a Wayflyer or, or whatever, but they'll only fund you about a month's worth of revenue based on six month average revenue, which when you're a fucking startup that's seven months old, isn't that, isn't really yeah, that much cash. Yeah compared to what you're trying to do. So yeah, like that's where the money be spent basically. Very simple, really. Um, and I also think there's an element of raising funds is like social proof for a potential future investor or acquirer. Because if you've gone through funding rounds and again, this is advice I've had, I'm not just making this up, but it makes sense in my head. It's like you've gone through rounds of due diligence previously. You've set a intrinsic value on the business which is the funding round which granted yeah. it, might, it might not be acquired at this price right now but it's the price of the business based on how much is being put in for an X percentage and, and, it, and it makes sense it, it just lines up with that journey of alright so maybe we, we raise so basically my plan is to raise a million now do like 8 million plus next year mm-hmm. in the first full year maybe at that point especially with Mads maybe we get to like 600k MRR or something by the end of the year I don't know maybe more then we maybe and this is in the model we try and raise at that point either three to five million which is like a proper venture round or something and then try and get it to like 20 mil plus and then you're entering like strategic acquisition territory yeah which comes on to the question that this guy asked and I find this topic so fucking interesting because I've I've always been interested in acquisitions I can't find this question and I read about all this shit for fun anyway but then obviously a lot of my investors have actually built fuck off businesses not like some fucking course business well, we're like an actual business we're launching subscription for the company that I'm involved in with a CM, as a CMO next year which is a pretty big big pivot um, from where we are like currently we just do single single purchase product romantic little moment there um, <laughs> yeah that's beautiful we're moving from, we're, go, we're going to launch subscription because our RCR repeat customer rate has been climbing so fast over the last few months for what on for oh. Tev yeah oh really um, it's just a really strong offer it's just a really strong offer hard to if you if you buy something that's cheaper than the premium alternative and you have a good experience what's the what, what, where is the logic to move back to the yeah. premium alternative especially for your economic climate I actually think it's the perfect business to thrive in a recession as well yeah it's saving money fundamentally that's the offer Funda- it's like save money once you get people yeah. to try it they're convinced that they still have the same experience and they save money like why where's your motive to go back yeah. So we're trying. To, we're going to try and pivot more towards subscription because we've just been really heavy on acquisition through this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes from a subscription point of view. I'm trying to find this question that you mentioned. Um, it was definitely. I mean, it was on Instagram. I'm ninety nine percent sure it was on Instagram. So one of those screenshots. Yeah, I'm scrolling down. It was something to do with. I mean, you'll see it. Something to do with who would buy it. What's the logic? I think you mentioned another pod that I'd spoke about. I think you must have cut it. You must have cut that one off. You really? sent me a screenshot with the Wi-Fi password. Yeah, no, I, I re-screenshotted that because I was screenshotting as you requested the Wi-Fi. Definitely on there somewhere. I'm struggling. Is it on Twitter? 
It's not on Twitter, I've just checked. No, it's definitely not on here. Um, I must have cut it out. Must have cut it out by accident. But what what was the general gist of it? Like, the question who, who, was broadly... Who do you think would buy the business, basically? It was something like... If I can get the question right now, this guy's watching. It was like... What is the thinking and general logic behind scaling a business unprofitably with the view to getting strategically acquired at a certain point in the future? That was basically the question. And in layman's terms, he was asking, how do you get, how do you think you get to the point where you get strategically acquired? He's basically saying, how do you get, how do you get to the point where you get acquired for a fuckload of money without even necessarily being profitable? That happens to so many businesses. Which is what all the biggest acquisitions are, yeah. basically. Like, so, especially, it's and people less so in... miss in, this entirely on Less so in e-com, I think. Definitely less in e-com. It's way but, more B2B SaaS and so on. SaaS, like SaaS, HubSpot's a great example. If you go and look through, I've read into this, if you look through, HubSpot is a, is a ridiculous business. The size and scale of it is ridiculous. I can't remember how much the guy sold it for. He nearly died. The guy who sold HubSpot nearly died in a ski, a snowmobile accident three days after he sold it. Really? Yeah, he snowmobiled off a cliff into a tree. Fucking hell, that must have been his, a loose post-exit party. With, 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 with his son, <laughs> and then had like oh, one bar service. If he hadn't had one bar service, he would have died. That was pretty mad. Anyway, Fuck. tangent. Um, but they acquired, um, they've acquired loads of things, but they, they, they acquire audience. They acquired they my then, first million, didn't they? No, they acquired the hustle. Uh, they did acquire my oh, first right. million. They acquired the hustle as well, which one of the people who... Sounds like I just, but well, I do like Sam that pod, I do like that pod. Yeah, he run the hustle, which yeah. is a, which is like a, it's like a premium subscription newsletter, which is basically like business ideas and shit. Um, but they acquired that, but they are not acquiring that for the value of that. They're acquiring it for the value of the audience that is mm. part of that eco, like that bringing that audience into the ecosystem and being able to sell their products as part of that funnel. It's basically acquiring a funnel of customers to their product that they know are high value individuals who are in the sector that they're in. So I think like e-com's a little bit different because it's, I feel like it's harder to push someone from one brand to another. It's, it's in like, than, than it is from a SaaS that fundamentally solves their needs. Yeah. It's, it's, I, it's not as, I don't know, maybe that's not true. I also think the broader view, like people typically think, and I'm and I'm definitely just regurgitating what much wiser and richer and more experienced people have said to me. So don't think this is me trying to give advice because I'm fucking clueless. But this is what I've learned. And it's a way of thinking about it. It's like a business or a brand or an acquisition. You have to kind of understand how money works and like how these private money markets work. Because genuinely, if you're selling a business for a load of money, unless you're IPOing, which let's assume you're not, you're being bought by a private equity fund or a VC fund, essentially just a bunch of private, my fucking dog's licking, I found another, another pen, another let's let him have it. <laughs> you're, basic, you're being acquired by a fund, which is a collective of private money from yeah. investors, angels, family offices, whatever it is. Essentially, ultimately what they want, want it to do when they invest or acquire a business, which is probably your most likely exit scenario, or my investment scenario, if I get a fund involved, is they want to put 10 million quid in and in three years it's worth 30 million quid. Yeah. Because the asset is potentially worth that to the next fund or the next exit scenario or an IPO situation. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're not buying the fucking P&L. No. They're buying ultimately like, and this is one thing my uncle said to me, who is an entrepreneur. He said to me, this to me like two months ago and, it, and this is something I think about all the time anyway and it's just, the fact he said it as well is so true. 
all you should ultimately care about as an entrepreneur, particularly if you're trying to build like a long-term business, is the EV, the enterprise value. What is the yeah. business worth? EBITDA is is irrelevant. It's not irrelevant entirely, but that's not that's the thing everyone focuses on when they're getting started. How much profit does the business I make? Think- and that's fine. But the EBITDA is one factor that influences the EV. I think you even see this at big scale. So like you, the, a really good example of this is Klarna and Shopify, right? Yeah. Klarna until recently was only available on Shopify stores, but Shopify stock was worth less than Klarna because Shopify went through the COVID boom and then its growth rate dropped. And then like, but that, that's what like public stocks, are, a lot of public stocks are such a factor of the growth rate. If the growth yeah. rate drops, then the whole value of the stock falls. And it's, yeah, it's enterprise value is definitely true. It's also a timing thing. And enterprise value is probably very, it's very complex thing to calculate, I feel. And in fact, like enterprise value, put a, put a value on that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert on that, but ultimately like the point is your focus should be on what is the business worth and improving the things that yeah. boosts how much it's worth. So for example, like growth rate is one, how much of a market leader is it seen as, how much future potential does it still have that it hasn't even explored yet? Like how many new products could be launched we haven't even touched yet? Like, is this a trend or is it like a legitimate thing that's growing? Like all these are things that influence the value of something. And, and I have very much reverse engineered why I've gone into the mushroom space because I want to, I ultimately want to build a business that could be acquired for fucking multiple of revenue. Yeah. Not for a two X of EBITDA, like some fucking flipper acquisition Yeah. and like bedroom brands go for that. And you don't want to be playing in that, in that arena. And this is another thing that, that Jimmy told me and it kind of made sense. If you want to get strategically acquired, which is when they'll pay 20X profit or multiple of revenue, you need to be 20, 20 million plus revenue. And I read loads of threads on this because when you enter that realm, because there's so few brands actually doing that, you then become like the big dog in that space. And like every brand, every fucking customer probably knows you. Like everyone in that space knows that brand. And suddenly you could be worth a, re- a multiple of revenue rather than just you're another fucking brand in the space. You look like everyone else. You're a cookie cutter brand. Household names. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because then your brand equity Look at all the biggest ever acquisitions. They're never a fucking little multiple of profit. It's like, yeah. Maybe good, some exceptions, but very rarely. Like, like Ring Doorbell. That's a good example. Like, that's fucking mad acquisition. Yeah. Buying for a billion. But then timing as well, because right now it's probably a shit time to sell a business. Two years ago is probably a great time. A year ago is probably a decent time. Depends what but then there's economic mean. cycles. So like arguably building a business now, and again, this is what people have said to me, and I hope it's true. If you can grow a business in Recession. arguably a shit market, then all when the it's a good business, market again, probably businesses. three, four, five years time, three years time, hopefully, then you, A, you'll be flying, but B, your valuation will be fucking mad if you've built a decent business because, all wow, the- you survived that all the best businesses are built in recession because people aren't just loose as fuck on money. Yeah. Like you see so many tech companies that get massive investment and they start spending money on absolute bollocks. Like, like, I think I like, read about fast, fast checkout spending a million yeah. quid on like um, chain smokers. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's just like, mad. you just got too much coin and you just start making stupid decisions. There's a, there's, there's a few examples out in the DC space, mm. like funding events that you just don't need to do. Like it's just stupid, stupid Decision, like decision, fundamentally stupid yeah, decisions. Yeah, spending money you, on fluff. Because you can just have access to funds. And, yeah, and then, But then when you don't have access to funds, you run it like a bootstrap business and that's how every business should be run. Like, yeah. 
every employee is judged on their output like every decision is judged on like the impact on bottom line things like that like but you get past that point at a certain scale and people just start being idiots yeah some people have asked you some <clears throat> exotic life questions exotic like where do you see yourself in five years but different versions mm. someone actually did ask you that do you see yourself living in London and what do you see yourself working on in five years was that was one of them which is a deep question were there two questions or one oh. that was like it was well I I added the yeah I, I do see myself yourself. in London I, I find the hatred for London on Twitter and rather comical because it comes from people that have A never travelled B you're about 19 and C only think Dubai is good because certain YouTubers live there I hate Dubai like I understand the logic in winter granted it's sunny but like the whole rhetoric and like the whole narrative of London you just get stabbed in London I've literally never felt unsafe in London maybe you just need to go to the gym or <laughs> something I don't know maybe you're just living in a shithole I need to upgrade your, your setup yeah, I yeah, we do know. live in a bit of a bubble, but I also think the majority of like places in, in the world where you feel nice and safe, a bit of a bubble. Like we live in Camden, it's, there's some characters, but I don't feel unsafe. I think, I, everywhere, I just think, I think like, everywhere has unsafe places, unsafe places. I think Dubai is like I just I, I, I like the idea of Dubai, but I just feel like I like the idea of it, but the reality of it, and I've been there plenty of times, and for me, it's just very fake. There's also people in the UK that I enjoy, and it's also the UAE, yeah. a place that until about ten years ago, like chop people's they arms off do. for stealing shit and like it's people that Away think it's water. like westernised yeah. are just wrong it's also full it's got a western front and I think it's cool but full of weapons I well. so the answer is I'll definitely be based in London so yeah but I'll just travel I have no plans yeah. to leave London as a base though find the based community where they're just like yeah move to buy sack off all your mates that you've known for the last like 20, 10 years of your life because you're better than them now it's just like yeah just like have some personality and don't it's the cunt. ultimate cope in my opinion <laughs> it's, like, it's just cookie cutter people who like, can't think for themselves and if anyone's listening to this you probably know who you are and you should probably take my opinion with maybe some consideration I do find it's it great really, for some people but decide if you like it I do find it really painful when like there's a lot of it on Twitter where like instantly when you make money, you're better than every other person you've ever met in life who doesn't do the same thing as you. And you've also been running the business for six months. So it's like, let's do it for five years and first. it's like, people cannot make loads of money and still be someone that adds value to your life. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's not that It's not that hard to, to find It's just like, it's, it's the new money Twitter sphere. People get it's a few Stripe invoices paid and think they're fucking Bill Gates. Um, but yeah, in like I, I I like London. I've only been here about three months, so yeah, really true, comment, true. In terms of like he, he the, the guy asked, I I added the, the location question. The the guy that I read asks, where do you reckon you'll be in five years? Well, he, he asked five, ten, and fifteen, which is a lo long time. I don't really. <laughs> it's a good question. Five years, months. it's mad because a lot can change in five years. I look back five years, it's like what was I doing five years ago? A lot can change in twelve months. Yeah, fuck yeah, it can. Look at my physique 12 months ago. <laughs> Fleshy. Yeah. What's my dog eating now? For what was I doing five years ago? I'm trying to think. What's the date now? December 2022. You're probably doing dropshipping. December 2017. Do you not go... I would have been... December 2017, I, I would have just gone to that event in Singapore, which changed yeah. my life. So that's quite mad. So in five years' time... Consuming Ben Moore's course. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Yeah. In five years' time, I hope... Well, I plan to have made set for life cash from this brand and probably working on either either space goods still or something in the, the mushroom slash psychedelic space. 
maybe still doing the pod that's got a million subscribers. <laughs> 50. Maybe have a future wife that's pending. <laughs> That'd be a lot of consistency if you manage Run to... Run a sub two marathon. God. Kim, Kim Choge is asking me for advice. <laughs> at 86 kilos. Yeah. yeah. Sub two at 86. That'd, That'd be, be fucked. That'd be quick. How about um, you? What about five years? I just struggled to think more than three years in advance. Three years yeah, in advance, like fucking twelve. If I, if you said twelve months ago that I was going to be living in London, doing like two other businesses, I think looking back twelve months is actually quite important for perspective. Because sometimes you think, I think every day like, oh, nothing's changing. I'm, I'm fucking moving too slow. I didn't even have the idea for space goods twelve months yeah, ago. It's, it's I was going to do toothpaste tablets. <laughs> yeah, you were. I remember that phase. That's actually <laughs> mad. It is twelve months is a long time. I feel like reflection's important as well not enough people reflect very true and it can be it can be quite productive it's again linking to what I was saying about business earlier like it's easy to get in the weeds and not realise how not realise what the problem is it's also easy to get in the weeds of life and not realise how much progress you've made over a period of time that's beautiful that's, that's getting clipped <laughs> it definitely is it definitely is I'm trying to I've, your screenshots has vanished Um because when you zoom out you always make more progress than you think way more progress I feel like we've gone into like a deep area now so I can't go back to e-com yeah just ask like one or two of them then we'll wrap, wrap it up right one minute Get, bear with me I'm loading Twitter again this guy is just relentless he does get very weird with every guest I think it's like it's a new person it's who new just gets flesh. intrigued. <laughs> Where's this obsession with he's just broken that pen as well? Where did he get that pen from? I think it was Jack's. Uh, is that your first time using a trackpad? Yes. Yeah, You've been using a mouse for the past few years. Is it better? Mouse screams poverty. Are they actually better? <laughs> yeah. I've always thought they I've never tried them. Cause Honestly, when I started using a Mac trackpad like three years ago, it's so much quicker. Really? Yeah, I swear it is. You have more yeah, like you can just like flick your finger like a fucking really? like you're like a conductor or some shit. Like, whereas a mouse is like um, a symphony orchestra of scale. Yeah, you can also you can set it to be quicker as well. Mad. You've not done that yet. Yeah, go to settings trackpad. It's also got click hardness. You can change everything. God, would you rather be? An this is, I'll probably edit this myself to go out on Sunday. By would the you, way, because Brad won't do this in time. Would you so. rather be an anxious genius or a joyful fool? An anxious genius any day of the week. That's a pretty mad question. That's what I am. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's what a lot of people. In. Do you, I think that's what any genius probably is. You, I read genius, some, have you read that thing about how fifty percent of probably? I don't know if we're back into this, but have you read that thing about how fifty percent of people don't have an internal monologue? <laughs> how fucking mad is that? Wait, what? So 50% of people factually There's NPCs Don't have uh, Factually An internal monologue Do you know So you speak to yourself In your head All, all the time All day every day I've, I don't relentless. just speak to myself I've you filmed in my head <laughs> It's like 50% of people Have no internal monologue I've met some And I've spoken to them And it's, it just blows what, my did mind Did they tell you Before you met them That they had no, no internal monologue No no I've monologue. asked them this question They've been like Oh I don't have an internal monologue Wait, so you've met NPCs and they've revealed that they're an NPC in person it's, to you. They've just been. That like, must be a software update. <laughs> you're on iOS 10. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that's HOS, how, human how operating mad, system. How bad is that? Like, not having an internet. Wait, what? So they, they consciously told you they don't have one? They don't so have So how do they speak? They, they, they don't, like, think before, like, 
I don't, I don't, they don't have like this constant thoughts in their mind, which That's I have so all weird. the time. Uh, Jack, do you have that? What? Do you have an internal monologue? Yeah. 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 You, anyone that's smart does. <laughs> Just floating through life. Yeah. I you, reckon anyone that does their own shit does. People don't have it. You're your own best mate. Yeah. Or your worst. Or your worst enemy. I literally speak to myself and visualize situations in my head all the time. Yeah. Fifty percent of people don't do that. They don't have anything between the eyes. That's so like. So shit. Yeah. It's so mad. Um. I thought it was crazy. Did you see that AI thing? I sent you this. Did you not click? You not click? I looked it? at it. I did. It's mad. It's an AI that can have a conversation with you, and it admits its own mistakes, and it's mad. Can it's it do so, other things with you? Yeah, we can. <laughs> I don't know what you mean like, by that. Because no, because that sort of technology is probably fucking dangerous. I think like AI is mad. Like where do you, like AI will replace so much in the next fifteen, twenty years? Oh, he put his head down. It's cute, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's it's like a chatbot where you can it's like a I can't it's chat a it's like CPT or something. <laughs> <laughs> My dog's sucking you off. <laughs> um, it's like it's open AI. They did another one, but you can like so you can put you can put a piece of code in that's wrong, and it'll send you the right one and it'll explain why it was wrong and how to get to the right answer. Is this part of like that Dali thing from Sam? Yeah, Alman? yeah, it's the same thing. Same, Fuck same, you know. same thing. He's but, probably gonna be a trillionaire from that. Yeah, AI will destroy. Like, there'll be no people running Facebook ads when AI gets to a point of being like. Yeah, you'll just say, make me profitable, thanks. Yeah, just just plug it in. Yeah, fuck. Like, a lot of that, that, that's what I think. Like, that's the biggest problem for, like, service based businesses that don't take too much, like, creativity. The, the, the thing with Facebook ads is you've got creative feedback and stuff, but, like, things that are very, like, black and white, right, like, fundamentally, like, yes or no answers are just going to get replaced so quick. Mm. That was a yeah. I was read. I was reading a thread on it today. It was nuts. It was so nuts. I sent you it, but that is mad. I didn't read the full thing. Yeah, of course you didn't. The brief little too click. Busy, too busy smashing through P P interviews. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find more questions. Not the rest of them are just not. Worth don't have to ask loads more. We've done hour and a, like hour and a half, pretty much. Maybe one more. I'll find or I can one, ask you one, and we can I'll wrap find up. One more good one. Twitter ones are pretty dead, to be honest. One of them is, what did you eat for breakfast? I get bare, I, sorry, I get, not bare, I get barely any engagement on Q&A stuff on Twitter. It's always Instagram, weirdly. Really? Yeah, way more on Instagram. I just don't really use Instagram. You smash Instagram, actually. Do you want me to ask you what the favourite childhood memory was? <laughs> yeah, go on then, because I've actually got one. Well, maybe not favourite, but one that sticks with me the sticks most. I've got a few that sticks with you. All right. I've got one that sticks with me. So, all right, I'll ask you final final question for the pod. It's a niche um, question. It's deep, it's niche, it's general. What was your favourite childhood memory and what made it memorable? Or what was a... Or I guess you can just remove the favourite, but what was like a memorable childhood memory? Honestly, the only thing I consistently think about, maybe it's just because I'm like OCD and autistic or whatever, but one memory I jumped to is winning the national schools in rowing when I was 16. I guess I wasn't a kid, but in my childhood with David Bruce who came on the pod who rode the Atlantic yeah, and I still know the exact splits that we were ahead of our competition every 500 metres was 1.51 1.9 we won by 0.9 seconds because that was the first time I ever realised in my life it's probably why it stuck with me that if you work hard you can be the best and that sounds deep dramatic and shit but genuinely at the time that was like my entire world yeah and, mm. I, and I still think back to that and think well, I did that when I was 16 why can't I do something else there's a similar mentality with like the marathon and shit. 
That's probably why I like like sporting events because it reminds me of that time. Yeah, we covered that last the last one. Like someone, yeah. someone asked you a question. On so this honestly, one, I don't know why it is so profound. Maybe it's because it literally like maybe it changed my identity. Because I went from thinking I'm just a normal bloke to actually I can be a winner. Yeah. On a big scale. And there's probably things like that that happen to everyone along the way that suddenly give them the confidence to think they can be somebody or whatever. Like transformational moments. Yeah. yeah How about definitely. you? I didn't think you were going to flip that round on me. I actually don't have anything off the top of my head. God. Uh, it wasn't coxing University <laughs> four. The <books> four. <laughs> down that down that threatening street. No one watching this will know what that means. <laughs> Niche reference. Right. Um, I don't know. I have I have like random family memories, but nothing in this this scale of that. I don't, right. to, I don't have anything to, to give you there it's yeah. a pretty shit answer <laughs> no that's alright um, someone asked you someone asked in this on that whether again so we answered this on the last episode about the fitness versus business and whether there's correlation but there definitely is and it's definitely I think there's definitely a correlation yeah I saw that question more than it's fundamentals that come from it rather than the there's obviously exceptions itself. there's plenty of exceptions but yeah I would urge anyone that isn't in shape to so just go and get in like ridiculous shape and I think you'll definitely find that you just work better and you build the discipline in it really go and run a sub 3 marathon come back to me go rub it harder than go it looks go sub 630 2K. yeah I was actually thinking this this is really going off tangent but then we'll wrap up what do you reckon the equivalent is rowing wise on, on the erg to do a sub 3 marathon for the average person what were your top 1% yeah, probably in, in six, six thirty, six twenty, six. No, six, heavy, like heavyweight. Yeah, I, I guess it's all relevant to if you're. So what's the top, as a rower, it's different. Isn't it? What's the top one percent for a heavyweight rower? Probably sub. No six, idea. Sub six. Yeah, if you got. Yeah, probably if you got everyone in society that isn't a rower, it's like random people. <sighs> Maybe not sub six twenty. Probably sub six twenty is like top ten percent. Ten percent of the rowers, so probably like sub six thirty. Yeah, I don't know enough about rowing statistics I mean, yeah. to comment, but it's a niche one. But what's the what's the equivalent in e-commerce? you know what's funny like, I was like this is a big tangent but I feel like running a sub 3 marathon is harder than scaling to a 7 figure brand for sure yeah and I, I obviously I'd say I, I sound like I'm smoke. I feel like that no, was actually know, so hard yeah yeah it's hard to it's hard to compare because more it's, people it's run, very hard to compare more people run try and run marathons than try and build e-com stores yeah and there's way more variables outside your control in Ecom and entrepreneurship, which is why I liked running. To be fair, because it's just you. Be interesting to see how many people who started. The, if you put, if you gave them all the tools, how many people from a the London Marathon could get to a million a, a month, a million a year in sales? I reckon more start. people than another <laughs> subset of society that wasn't in the marathon for sure, oh. because the principles. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, yeah. What a tangent? I'll let you wrap up. Yeah, I guess with that said. Um, we're back with the fucking midnight pod. It's episode fifty. The wine is back. The pink lights are back. I actually have like three episodes booked next week. I think Lucy booked them for me. The guests are back. So yeah, man. I always, I always said it. Would not, it, not, it really fucking annoyed me because I said I did, from from day one. I said I'd do fifty two episodes in fifty two weeks. <laughs> I didn't do that. I did forty eight episodes in forty eight weeks, and then took a strange like two month hiatus. Six more episodes. No, sorry, it wasn't even 48 and 48. It was like 44 and 44 and 48 in like 55 or some bullshit. But anyway, sometimes life gets in the way. But I, st- I still think the podcast has been more consistent than 99% of podcasts, arguably. Um, and fuck me, doing a podcast is a lot more work than people think. It's more commitment though. And I think yeah. that's part of why I wanted to do it again because it's like, fuck, I said I'd do it. Let's get back on it. 
a bit of structure it's always as well. a cozy vibe bit of structure a bit of commitment 52 yeah, episodes in 52 this, weeks the only, the, only, the only two episodes ever spilt wine were the Iman episode the most viewed episode of all time and I look like a fucking ugly fat piece of shit because I was in a bad place that was almost bang on a year ago that's very strange and the episode with you where we spilt I think like a whole bottle I spilt like three quarters of all whereas this one's just a little stain I might have to get a carpet cleaner in here before I move out because <laughs> I don't know it's damage it's damage um, but yeah yeah Any if you guests? enjoy the pod subscribe there is more coming back recommend it to a friend or like good shit click all the fucking links below I need to monetize this fucking audience more and sponsors, <laughs> sponsors coming sponsors yeah coming. exactly we'll see you uh, in the next episode cheers for watching peace Bye.